Welcome to the D-Hut Bobcast. I'm Leland Steele. And I'm Moby. Welcome to the Staccato Cast, <laughs> where we speak staccato for an hour and a half. <laughs> yes, I hope you like this manner of speaking. Yes, it is very... Ah, uh, fuck it. I can't do that for forever, man. <laughs> I I would hate listening to ourselves doing that. Yeah, that'd this be isn't terrible. The, this is an April Fool's episode, brother. That's a month from now. So. I just been doing that uh, long, drawn-out welcome for 75 episodes. I thought maybe on the 76th we'd switch it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate the uh, novelty that you bring to the T-Head podcast there, Leland Steele. <laughs> novelty is my middle name. Well, how you, how you going, bud? I mean, there's a lot to discuss. I'm really stoked about this episode. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Moving Musings is going to be uh, good, I think. I don't know if you were surprised, but, like, I was surprised. <laughs> you know, it's funny because listener doesn't know at this moment what Movie Musings is. But I will say in the last seconds before he knows what we're going to talk about, uh, I wasn't surprised... But I also had low, low expectations. Oh, how do I say that? Tempered expectations. I could, I, I don't know. I could tell from the trailers of this movie that I really felt it was going to deliver on a lot of levels. Maybe where it surprised me was on its plot and how it ran its story that I felt that was better than I was going to expect. And some of the performances were were a surprise i'll say that in a good way yeah so we're gonna be talking about the batman and the movie musings but i guess we can start with banter right that is the usual (laughs) format of a show (laughs) that is that is the pattern we've laid out over the past four years and yes i actually have significant banter this time around oh okay uh so i've got a big one and i've got a two small ones so maybe i'll i'll uh do the get the small one um, small ones out of the way first. We can go back and forth. I'm not, I'm not going to just, you know, dump it all. Well, honestly, I'm, I don't have anything, so. Oh. Okay, well, the first small one is one that's shared by both of us. Um, I finished the last episode of Pam and Tommy. You know, you and I have both been watching that show. Uh, first question, have, have you watched the last episode, Seattle? Yes, yep. Okay. So now that the first season or... I mean, they make it appear like it's a limited one-season run because they kind of have all the credits at the end telling you what happened to everybody. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about the show as a whole, and how did you feel about uh, how it ended? I I liked it, quite frankly. I thought it slowed down about episode five or six. It kind of started to crawl, but then, you know, once Pam... Like, that episode with Pamela's deposition, like, that was a brutal episode. But, like, it kept you engaged, but it was, like fuck, this is such a terrible thing that this, that she's going through right now and was put through, just to know that, you know, how inspired it is by the true events. And I, honestly, I thought the ending, like, was satisfactory. I know you had you kind of had mentioned that you, you kind of felt it was a little lackluster. Yeah, I kind of felt it was a little flat because for one specific reason, and I don't know if we need to give a spoiler warning. I guess this is a little spoiler warning, but this is history or an adaptation of history that you can find on Wikipedia, Tommy Lee and Pam break up, and they make it seem that they break up over Tommy's continued lack of empathy over what the sex tape actually is doing to her and her career. 
Um, there's that one scene that I felt was good that was included where Pam catches Tommy at a bar with guys and he's like joking about the sex tape. And right. he's like, yeah, you know, my music career doesn't work out. I can be a porn star. I think that was the last straw for her. But I felt like they could have done more with it. There could have been like an emotional fight. Um, it's pretty much Pam just walks out. Tommy, it's over. Tommy comes back for the birth of their kid, which was a weird scene because they're both like magically happy together with the birth of their kid, which is nice. But they've also gone through this breakup. And then the movie ends like right after that. It's or the show ends. It's like Tommy and Pam broke up. They were briefly get back together in 2008. They break up again. Blah, blah, blah. Seth Rogen's character, Ram or Rang or whatever, goes to live in South America and and we're all done. I just felt it was a little rushed and they could have maybe had another more emotional scene between Pam and Tommy. I uh I don't know. I don't I didn't think that would have that would be necessary. I mean it's I th- I think to me that would have felt too dramatized, and the whole thing feels overdramatic, right? Like because again, I have no real frame of reference, just how young I was when this actual shit was going down. Like I I have no frame of reference as to how close any of it is actually related to ex- you know the real life events that that occurred, right? And obviously they have to take some uh, like storytelling like liberties with it, right, to make a cohesive story they're you know filling in gaps here where they need to and etc etc again depending how involved pam lanerson and tommy lee were we had a we've had talked about that before pondering just how much they had to do with it if anything i i I don't i have no idea on that can't speak to any of that but um i don't know i I like the little uh, one of the little notes at the end you know is is, like you say it was doing the wrap-up text you know as that is you common with like a documentary so this is almost like a mockumentary of real life things you know it it was strange but i kind of had the little uh little blurb saying that they've all they always and still to this day refer to each other as like their one and only love or, or whatever the words they used and uh i i i felt like i got that throughout the show because because yes their relationship was depicted as being incredibly toxic and honestly just bad for both of them but i got i got why either one of them would want to stick around with the other and and i and i think it did a good job of showing even as dysfunctional as they were as a uh, as a couple how happy they still made each other and where they found those moments of bliss so i don't know i, I felt i felt like i felt satisfied with it yeah, arguing against myself, which, as you know from <laughs> condescending controversy, I love to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I did, there's something to be said to, in a show that has so much drama, having a moment where Pam's just like, Tommy, I'm done. Which is what she she is after she sees him brag about his sexual exploit. She's just like, I'm done. We're done. And maybe maybe that's the bolder choice to, to have, you know, things... As subtle, as subtle as that, because Pam is the victim of the show. She is the victim of the story. And whether how true it is, I mean, I have no reason to believe that she's not a good person. But a lot of the show and probably the strongest parts of the show is about this woman who got sucked up into this thing after making, I mean, I guess a mistake, but it was consensual. It was a tape for private use. And... Um, she gets sucked up into this thing and she doesn't deserve it. 
I mean, she doesn't deserve her treatment. She's a sweetheart. And it's, uh, it makes you really feel for her and not like the sludge that's going around her. And yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting character study on a relationship that's built on like pure raging chemistry, but nothing else. And you see that in their plane ride back from the, uh, I guess, what I forget where it was, but either Mexico or Malibu, wherever they hook up originally. And they have nothing in common when they're talking on the airplane. I love that scene. They, they can't have a conversation that isn't to do with like drama or fiery mm-hmm. sexuality because they really don't. They don't, they're, they're like two fish from different ponds. They don't share similar values and life backgrounds. I mean, she's from a small fishing town in Canada. Yeah, I think he's from Los Angeles or something like that in the USA. There's just, it's all chemistry for them. And unfortunately, that has problems. It has some really good things, obviously, for, for a relationship, but not in the long term. And, and, I get the sense that they were going to break up tape or no tape, like that that relationship, you know, set a set a stopwatch that had a time limit on it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, as severe as the situation with the sex tape being released uh, was, like it was just the first thing that came along, right, to cause the whole house of cards to to tumble. Really is, yeah. And you know what is funny? The only thing uh, that I even recalled in my youth of Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee is when they got back together in 2008. I remember how everyone was like, Oh my God, I can't believe they're back together, (laughs) which is weird. Like, but like, that's, that's the only memory I have of, of like the two of them and their relationship and all that stuff. I mean, obviously it was well aware that a sex tape between the two of them existed and that Tommy Lee has a big dick. (laughs) So (laughs) that's the two things you came away from watching the show. If you have no idea who these two people are, those are the two things that you'll come away with. (laughs) I I have a funnier story. I think you're going to laugh at some point of this. So, I mean, I'm just a few years older than you, but um, in the mid to late nineties, I forget exactly what year we, we had this second cousin um, come out from Ontario and stay with us for like a couple weeks. And it was only time, it was only time the, the kids in my particular family, my brother, my sister, myself ever met this, un- we called him uncle, uncle Phil. And he was like this really cool, kind of the cool uncle, almost like the Tommy Lee uncle, except he didn't have, uh, tattoos or anything, but he was like that kind of guy. Like he was a bad boy. But he was a lot of fun to have around. He stayed at my house for two weeks. And very conservative mom. We would never be allowed to watch Baywatch. But Uncle Phil wanted to watch Baywatch every single day. And he called it Boob Watch. And he would gather myself and my brother. He'd be like, boys, it's time for Boob Watch. My mom would just give in because she wanted to be a good host. So (laughs) here, these two boys that have never seen these bouncing jugs on screen before are suddenly seeing it every day for two weeks. And then one of the days, and it was like one of the first days, Uncle Phil's like, there's a tape. I'm like, tape of what? He's like, of her, Pamela, and she's nude, and there's a penis. And I'm like, what? Like, like, I don't know. I was like 12. I was blowing my mind. I'm like, that is naked somewhere? 
well, I, I got to tell mom, but I kind of want to see it. <laughs> so it, it kind of planted this seed. It was like, I mean, I, you know, Uncle Phil didn't have a laptop. I'm sure if he did, he would have booted up right there and been like, look. <laughs> but <Right. from> <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was this it was this moment where I could I could empathize in the TV show where everybody's like, what? There's a tape. There's a tape of her. Because, you know, she's a sex bomb. So, I, yeah, I kind of had my own moment like that. So, that, that, was, that was a fun little anecdote. That's interesting, yeah. I wonder how much of a, a spike the Google searches of Pamela Anderson and Tommy Sextape got from the show. <laughs> oh, man, that is such a good point. Yeah, like surely another million or two people have now watched this sex tape who have not seen it before. <laughs> Assuming you, I mean, you got to still be able to find it, right? Like it's on the internet. It's always going to be on the internet. You have to be able to find it. Well, now, now Disney plus plus can uh, offer <laughs> special retro VHS editions. Disney XXX. <laughs> With the D- Disney XX. It's like, I don't know, a, a symbol of Mickey in the top of the tape with like a wink. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. What if it was just what if it was a reenactment of the sex tape, but with Mickey and Minnie Mouse? It was just the exact same tape, but it's just with the with the mouses. You know what? I've been I've been looking for a Steamboat Willie remake, so let's get it done on the boat. Dude, dude. With Mickey's eight and a half inch dick. Will, Willie. <laughs> Willie's steamboat. <laughs> just flip around the words. Oh man. How's he driving that steamboat? <laughs> That's hilarious, brother. Uh, okay. To not make it our typical half-hour banter section. Uh, I mean, the other quick thing I want to get into is uh, I saw Matrix 4 a few days ago. and I Now, that was a surprise. I really liked Matrix Resurrections. Maybe that's something we should uh, discuss at some point in the future in length. But I just wanted to throw that out there. I saw it. If you think it sucks, I can give you an explanation of why it doesn't suck. So feel free to reach out to me on Facebook or or whatever. Send a message to the cast and and uh, to the podcast, and I'll I'll try to tell you. But uh, maybe we'll visit it at some point. Have you seen it yet, Leland? Or no? No, no, I haven't. Okay, well, the main one I've got here, and I actually want a link put in the show notes. Uh, this is my, my final banter, but my main banter. Do you know who Chris Stuckman is, Leland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering if you were going to talk about this, because I, I saw your little Kickstarter activity the other day, actually. Oh, you did? Does it tell you when you log yeah. in on Kickstarter? Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I happened to log in, uh, I think it was actually just yesterday, and I don't know why, because I haven't been on Kickstarter in forever, but I was like, oh, Moby. Somebody's back to project. I know. This is the first thing I backed in like three years. Um, so, listener, uh, Chris Duckman is a fully accredited film critic. Um, he's about my age. I think uh, give a year. I've been watching him for like eight years, and he's one of my favorite film critics. I think he he's one of the last classic film critics that reviews movies like they did in the 1990s and before. He really just sticks to acting, plot, technical issues like how it was shot and the sound and the music and things like that which i guess you could say is very vanilla but you know he doesn't get into any sort of political messaging that the movie might have or anything like that 
and he's really good. And, and I just, I, I love his stuff, but he's never actually wanted to be a movie critic, even though he's good at it. He's wanted to be a director since he was a little kid. Um, and he's made scripts and he's made a few bonafide, like actual professionally done shorts, but he, he's never been able to do a feature length film. No one will give him one because he hasn't directed a movie yet. They just say, come back after you've directed some stuff. So he's had a really frustrating time getting into the film industry. And I think it was at a con like a year and a half ago. He met a guy um, in the horror movie industry who he had a talk to just like from a chance encounter. And they decided after a lot of discussion that uh, they were going to make a movie together with Chris as director. So to give him his shot. But I mean, they needed money and that that's, that horror movie company, I forget the name, I should have written it down. It's on the Kickstarter, you'll see. They could fund the movie partially or a bit, but it couldn't really meet Chris's vision. So he started a Kickstarter where he says he's going to put all the money into the movie. And he had a $250,000 US goal. He reached that in like a few hours. Like it was like, whoa, you know, within, I don't know, 10, 12 hours, he reached that. So he started putting some very meaningful uh, milestones, like the one that just got reached at the $400,000 mark was some practical effects uh, versus all CGI. It, and it's not just practical effects. It's like they're they're going to get some new technology, go to some new locations, hire professional makeup artists. And it's already, now it hasn't met its second goal be its its second stretch goal beyond the four hundred thousand. The next one's five hundred thousand, where uh, part of that is they'll actually film at the Shawshank Prison. They'll have enough money to film there. Apparently, it's quite expensive, um, but it's available. And amongst other things, um, they're going to get like real police cars and ambulances versus fake ones, um, some other stuff. But already, it's the most funded horror Kickstarter film ever. Which is pretty cool because they're only on like day, I don't know, five of the Kickstarter, something like that. I, I know it runs until March 27th. So like I'm just really happy for Chris um, because at this point like his movie is going to get made. Um, I also like that uh, I, I kickstarted the Blu-ray tier. And, you know, he says he's going to fill it with like inserts and it's going to have lots of bonus features and featurettes and and I miss that because first of all I don't buy a lot of physical releases anymore there's just it's because they're like $35 and they're bare bones they don't have anything except like mm -hmm. you can adjust the sound the Dolby surround or something like companies have just got really lazy with with extras and um I think my hope is it's a big hope but my hope is is that the industry starts to take notice of this Kickstarter and realizes that, you know, people want extras. People want the option of physical release. People want new young filmmakers, not the old boys and girls club. And I hope like, I hope like, honestly, like it's two years from now and I'm talking to you in banter segment about Chris uh, directing an episode of The Mandalorian or something like that. I, I sincerely hope we get there. So I'm just going to, plug him like you said link to the kickstarter in the show notes 
Yeah, uh, the film is called Shelby Oaks. If you do want to search on Kickstarter, but yes, the link will be in the show notes. And Kickstarter is notoriously fucking garbage for searching projects. You cannot even find this project if you search Chris Stuckman. It's brutal. Wow. Yeah, I just I literally just tried, and I had to go to the I had to go to the film section and scroll through pages to until I found it, and it was pretty near close to the top, which is nice. Uh, I think they they have raised as of March eleventh six hundred and eleven thousand six hundred and sixty one dollars Canadian Canadian yeah Canadian so you basically got to knock off a two hundred k from that to see about where he's actually sitting at USD right they're approaching half right because they're like you said their next their next goal is half a million which is USD their next goal in my opinion is the most important um I mean I do believe they'll hit the six hundred k near the end. Uh, where they will hire a quote-unquote named actor, which I think is interesting because they must have someone in mind. And you wonder if it's someone like um, Robert Englund, you know, someone that's from classical horror film. Because, like, let's be honest, on a $600,000 budget, I mean, you're not bringing in Hamill. So (laughs) named actor (sighs) has tears here so you'd have to think it's someone specifically from the horror movie genre maybe a legacy actor who would come in for 200k or something like that yeah 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 that makes sense uh that's yeah that's interesting i i hope he has success too i i do enjoy uh stuckman's reviews i don't watch them as religiously as you do but i i do on occasion uh partake in his content and yeah i think you're right he is he is like a traditionalist almost when it comes to to reviewing film, and I think he keeps his thoughts uh, concise and and, and well spoken, and very easy to one see the passion he has for the industry itself, even if he's not doing what you know his dream job within the industry as far as reviewing content. But clearly, he is a fan of film, right? He's a fan of the techniques that different directors can use and employ, and cinematographers can use to to uh squeeze out a, a particular emotion or or set a scene in, in a specific way so very clearly he is well versed in all these aspects so i yeah I, I would not doubt that he will do a fantastic job given the opportunities well and and to end this banter segment that's my biggest hope here as well not my biggest hope here my my largest micro hope so not my hope for the industry as a whole but for this particular film is that Chris has all these years of experience, all this passion, all this knowledge of lighting, sound, um, you know, uh, good editing. He edits his own stuff. Even though they, they want to hire an editor as a part of one of the stretch goals to help him out, he's still going to be chief editor. Like, it's like giving the dude a key, the keys to a Ferrari and saying, show us how you'll race. And I, I'm excited to do that with someone who's I've really liked his work over the past eight years. You know, he wants to do this. I'm excited he's going to give a shot, get a shot. Let's see what he's going to do with full creative control. It could be great. I mean, I'm in the not the biggest horror movie, dude, unless it's comedic horror like you and I amazing, you know, Final Destination films. But I, I'm willing to watch this and, and give this guy guy the keys and see what he can do so i'm really excited probably a year or so until it gets released but really excited yeah yeah cool i like it i like it before we move on to movie music i just have one question and all i want you to do is sum sum up in a single sentence uh your opinion of the book of boba fett 
now that we've the finale has come and gone since last time we spoke because we you know we bitched about it last episode this we had yet to at the time of recording that episode the finale had yet to air so a messy and mediocre slight disappointment yeah i mean i have uh i have a a single word uh directionless that sums it up for me yeah that that's right i mean you like mr dna in jurassic park you know take the gaps in the code to fill in the holes that's like what they did they just took mandalorian and shoved it in the gaps of book of boba fett because they didn't have enough for a full season so they just shoved mando in there and that was the best part mr dna was probably the director of three episodes so (laughs) oh man okay i don't even want to fucking talk about it honestly let's move on okay let's move on to nice things Okay, all I'm going to say, all I'm going to say, in an upcoming episode where we don't have a guest, unless a guest really wants to talk about it, we do need to do a Book of Boba Fett, Where is Star Wars Going, another segment. Like, fuck it, it's our show. We'll, we'll do this in an upcoming, like, month or two. <laughs> okay, the, the episodes with Star Wars content do, do well, usually, so, okay, let's do it. <laughs> Take it with Factorio. Right, from... <laughs> Yes, I am Factorial. Yes, I do still play Factorial, listener. It will be a hashtag on all the social media posts because we mentioned it. It's time for Movie Musings, where we are going to review The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson and, uh, what's her name, Zoe Kravitz? Yep, Zoe Kravitz. As uh, as Bats and uh, Catwoman, respectively, um, in addition to many other um, actors. And, and, and uh, like you had said before, like... Really good performances. Oh, yeah. This movie was really good. <laughs> I really like this movie. Yeah, let's let's go non-spoilers to start, because that'll let us, uh, you know, just, well, it's our typical way, and let us discuss the performances. It it was a great, it was a great movie. I mean, our, we saw it together, listener, Leland and I, and... Just as a joke when we were driving home, because we went to a movie theater that was about half an hour drive from our places. And I said, haha, you know, let's do our usual fun thing and it's like discuss what's bad about this movie to start. And we really struggled to figure out what was bad. Yeah, I I honestly, and, and like, because we saw it like less than a week ago, right? From the time of recording. Um, and I, I, I honestly haven't really stopped thinking about it since we saw it. And I'm still trying to figure out what, if anything, like I, I, okay, there, there absolutely is nothing that I hated about this film. And so then I dial it back. I was like, Hey, what did I dislike about this film? Well, I don't really think there's anything I even disliked about this film. And it was like, there weren't even really, there wasn't really anything that even bugged me about the film. To me, it felt, it felt like it was like I was watching uh, an Arkham uh, like a, the like the Rocksteady Batman video games, like Arkham City, like I was watching Arkham City. Uh, it had that feel. It had you know, it had a lot of uh, comic booky feel, like uh, uh, Batman Year One and um, kind of the Long Halloween, but not quite. I I thought in the beginning it was gonna be like a Long Halloween thing because the movie opens up on Halloween night. And I'm like, oh okay, this is gonna be cool. They they went in a different direction, but. Uh, still, uh, even just from like the character design of, of Selena Kyle too, like it was, it was great. It felt, it felt good. Like it just felt good. 
And I guess the only complaint that I really have is like we didn't we didn't get any like Bruce Wayne because at this particular point in Batman's career, uh, he's two years into being Batman. He's been you know bats for two years. There is no Bruce Wayne side to Batman. He's just he's always Batman. Bruce Bruce Wayne is always Batman. So there's no of that like that the face right of Bruce Wayne the the playboy and um, the cover like the, he's, he doesn't give a shit about maintaining this this playboy billionaire cover. Um, which is usually traditional when you see a, a kind of a long running uh, bats. Because even like if you think back to like uh, Keaton's Batman, right? Like there was lots of him being Bruce Wayne, right? And actually, it was it was I think that that movie particularly did a great job of 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 showing how different Bruce Wayne is versus Batman and how um, you know those two characters they're like two different entities, right? And they and and they're, and they're meant to be kept separate purposefully kept separate right and even though we know like batman is the real one and bruce wayne's the fake guy right it's almost like it's like the same as superman and clark kent clark kent's the fake and superman is superman right uh which which is interesting i mean obviously that's a completely different context and now i'm starting to, to ramble uh <laughs> but it's okay i don't know i just i just the film was great the film was good it was good yeah you know it's it's interesting because I, I you know you know keaton Keaton's my bro when it comes to to Batman and and I loved him as Bruce Wayne. He made a very good Bruce Wayne, very suave. And even though I don't think Keaton's the most traditionally good-looking dude, um he just pulled it off. But I agree with you in that I missed Bruce Wayne, but like had Pattinson been a playboy at this point, it it wouldn't work. It wouldn't mesh with his character. Because one of the things I like, he's still working on his technology. Like, the Batmobile is very brutal. It's basically like a homemade, welded muscle car at this point. His armor is a bit better, but he still gets bruised. That's what I like. That's what I like about this movie. Like, Batman is constantly bruised. He's constantly stumbling due to aches and pains for his job. And meanwhile, he's... I mean, the movie doesn't out and out say it, but I told you I believe that he's mentally ill in this one. He certainly has depression. And and so you've got this very vulnerable superhero that is only himself in his his suit, but he's still vulnerable because every time he takes off that armor, he's like hobbling. And, and he's stressed out because he's been fighting for two years and he sees that crime is surging. It's not going down. So, yeah, he has no reason to put on a smiling face. And it's interesting because he's like, he's an unknown commodity as Bruce Wayne. The movie posits him as so reclusive that when people see him, good or bad, like, they're just like, wow, it's Bruce. He still breathes. Hey, Bruce. You know, it's the Prince of Gotham, but nobody knows what he is because he's been hiding out all these years. Uh, no, yeah, that's a good point. I, I think uh, I think you're right. Like, it wouldn't have made any sense in 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 this film and what they were trying, the story they they're, they told. Um, I also love that it, it, it's like an it's actually like a detective story, although it's yes. very typical. <laughs> it's very typical, like Batman or even really superhero stuff, where like so much bad stuff has to happen before they can actually reach the conclusion. Even in, even in like, in like a, like a thriller, even like think of like a movie like seven, so many people have to die before they even get close to catching the bad guy. Right. Like, and that's exactly what happened. It doesn't matter that he's Batman. He's still only dealing with as much as everybody else has. And he's, he's obviously better at dealing with 
the bits of tidbits of information that he has. Um, but I guess maybe that is a now that I'm saying that that's a bit of a complaint. It's like Batman, and it's so hard to do. It's so hard to depict, honestly. Like Batman is 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 seemingly like the best detective only because everyone else is so shit. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't like he was like. He's not like Sherlock Holmesing shit, which would have been also stupid because Sherlock Holmes is dumb. Uh, but it's just like everyone else just had no clue. And he's like, well, it's probably this. I mean, yes, he was a little more decisive because he's Batman. <laughs> but it's like, it's this is more, is more what he was. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. But that's that's that seems like something that's really hard to depict. Um, right. Like, I don't know. I don't know how else they could have done it. Yeah, I mean, they had to have a plot that went on for a while. So if, you know, the movie starts with a crime scene. So if Bats figures things out right away, um, I you know, they would have to go with another plot. One thing I liked is the, the feel of Seven. You mentioned Seven, but it kind of had that feel with the sort of pranks that the Riddler pulls, which are really dark, almost like Saw pranks from the Saw movie series in a way. I'm thinking a lot to Peter Skarsgård's part in it, but um, the, yeah, I mean, I want to key in on the performances at this point. Uh, I thought they were all fantastic. I don't have a single complaint for any of the, um, the actors in it. I mean, you got some like veteran, like veteran, really good actors. You've got John Turturro, the Jesus from the Big Lebowski as Carmine Falcone. <laughs> he's he's great as just like the suave Falcone who's basically like a s- scummy businessman. And he doesn't come off as brutal, but he actually has some of the more brutal kills or violence in the, uh, the movie. Colin Farrell as the Penguin. Oh, man. He's, he stole this movie from me, honestly. He's, he's, he's so, so good. good. He doesn't look like him at all, like at all, even though when you know it's him and he doesn't sound like him. But I mean, Colin Farrell's always been a good actor, but, you know, he's he's played more or less the spectrum of good guy to badass good guy. And that's kind of been his thing. And now suddenly he's playing this like obese, ugly, greasy character and he just nails it. A character that's nothing like the actor himself. Yeah. And and. Penguin is so entertaining to watch too. Like every time he's on screen, you're like, "All right, dope, Penguin's back, cool." <laughs> Another scene with Penguin. Okay, this is gonna be good. <laughs> like, ah, it's just it's so cool. But this Penguin mixes not just the Danny DeVito clown style Penguin, and we also had that clown style Penguin in the middle, you know, in the original Adam West series. But this Penguin is also dangerous and lethal. I actually, the more I've thought about it, is. He's a cross between the kind of more comedic penguin that we know and Joe Pesci from Joe Pesci's mob movies, where he's like this, you know, little guy with a chip on his shoulder. Whenever someone insults him, he just pulls out his pistol right away. It's like starts blasting. Yeah, yeah. You think that's funny? That's Colin Farrell's uh, uh, version of the penguin. And it's it's fantastic. And I mean, I guess. They thought a lot of him because before the movie was released, HBO had greenlit a whole Penguin show, which is great. That's very cool. Uh, I mean, if it's if it is anything like as as good as the Peacemaker spinoff series, right? As far as doing the character justice and maintaining, like like just giving us more of what we loved from 
their debut in, in their respective films, I think, yeah, it's going to be very entertaining and I'm excited to watch it for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, Colin Farrell was dope as hell. Yeah. Penguin was dope. Penguin was dope. And actually what I, I actually really liked, um, uh, Gordon too. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what the actor's name is, but I think it was, uh, it's kind of uh, more of an, uh, I think the most understated performance, uh, in the film because he's like, but you can tell like Gordon has to toe the line between, uh, basically showing face of being like proud of the blue that he's, you know, represents, but also it's very clear that like, no, no, he's like, he believes that what Batman is doing can and is making the difference. Even though the whole movie, like you said, uh, at the outset, we kind of get this, the movie starts with, you know, uh, Bruce basically monologuing saying like, everything's up, all the crimes up, murders up. What am I even doing? Am I even having an impact? Like, what's the point? Basically he's having like this crisis of faith almost in himself, right? This imposter syndrome is like looming over him the whole film, right? It's kind of a theme that runs throughout out the, the film, right? To, and then we get the conclusion that we get, which we can talk about in the spoiler section, but, but yeah, yeah. But Gordon was like, I don't know. Gordon was cool. And it was nice to see like a younger Gordon too, because he's like, He's, like, he's just, I love this the way he talks to Batman. He's like, okay, man, you just, you got to get out of here. Like, you know, like he's just so like casual with Batman when everyone else is like a cat on, on edge with their, with their hair on the back of the, sticking up, right? Like every time they're around Batman, uh, it's cool. And, and I also like seeing Batman, like just walking around, <laughs> like when he's up, when he shows up at crime scenes, right? And like, it's, I like it. It's cool. I, I thought it was dope. I really liked well, it. Uh, yeah, and part of that is that they, you know, the the cops at this point in Batman's career don't like him. They they do a good juxtaposition of how ridiculous it would be that a dude in a bat suit shows up at a crime scene and is just allowed in to do detective work. The cops are like, "What the hell's going on with this guy? Like, get him the fuck out of here." Which yeah, exactly. I think a lot of cops would do if a guy in a bat suit, not knowing that he's Batman and that this is like a superhero show or something would pop up and be loud in a murder scene. Like, I think the cop's reaction is realistic. <laughs> and I think Gordon, Gordon's actor, I know his first name is Jeffrey, but I don't know his last name. But um, I know he does a good job of, of balancing that. Like, he knows Bats is good, and he trusts him, and he knows he's useful. But he doesn't know who he is, and he has to balance that with, like, actual cops on the payroll that are trained to do detective work and hunt bad guys and not piss either side off too much. Right. So I think that's really good. We got it. We got to talk Zoe. Um, Zoe is Catwoman. Oh my goodness. She is, she is sexy as all hell. She is completely like, I don't know if it's her natural body type or she's gone to the gym, but she does have this very feline way to her and how she walks and fights. That I really like too. Like she fights so different than bats. It's all acrobatic, low kicks, going high, um, spins, things like that. Very cat-like. And I've already told you this, but listener might not know this. Um, Zoe Kravitz wanted to method act this. So she was given like a couple hours on set every day as cat time where she would crawl on all fours with cats, lap up milk meow and basically pretend to be a cat i don't know how useful that is but i mean i give her props for method acting that 
Yeah. Uh, before, so the uh, James Gordon's played by Jeffrey Wright, but is, is the actor's name. Um, yeah. No, I, I she's cool. Um, I, like I said, I really like just her overall character design. Um, and yeah, she was like, I don't know. She she was obviously very up. She's, she's a powerful person, right? Even though she's she's always she's never in a position of power, but is able to maintain. Uh, a semblance of control over every situation that she's in and whether that whether or not she's using that like with her physical prowess like you say or with her sexuality which she definitely takes advantage of and and uses to her advantage um yeah i don't know i think i thought she was a really well written character too i yeah again i think zoe kravitz did a did a, a a a great performance as well and I like the I like the way she, that she fights. Yes, like you say, like juxtaposed to the way that Bat fights. And what I also like about basically in general of like the combat choreography is that Batman was not he's not he's not a perfect fighter right right now in his career. Right? He he like you say he gets bruised, he gets beat, he takes hits like yeah. every time for every like three punches he's throwing, he's taking a hit. Right? Like. He's not perfect. And then even like in the final, maybe we can cover this in spoilers. Yeah, okay. We'll talk about the final fight in spoilers so we can get into specifics. But I, I did really like the combat choreography. And honestly, though, like we were pretty light on the on the actual like hand-to-hand combat, really. Like there's, I don't know, but somehow like the pacing was great of the film, I felt. It was, I mean, this is a long movie. It's a three-hour movie. And... It didn't feel, I definitely didn't feel like I was sitting in the theater for three hours. There was a point where I, it did feel like it was starting to get really slow. And I can't even tell you what point of the movie, whether that was the midpoint or at the beginning of the, like the third act. I don't even know what point of the movie it was. Cause like I said, it didn't feel like I was sitting there for three hours, but there were, there, there definitely was a slowdown uh, part that I don't know. I don't know how avoidable it was, but it, it definitely felt like a decline in the plot, a decline in the action. But it was all in service of, uh, it was all in like character service for Bruce Wayne. So that's important too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I actually felt it was dragging in the beginning and I know it was, I don't think it was. I just had to get used to like that first crime scene that Batman investigates and it was slow and it was taking its time and it wasn't rushing uh, you know, edit cuts or anything like that. Just had bats slowly walking around, which I quickly got used to. And one of my few criticisms, but I can't actually hold this against the movie because it may have been the theater itself. It was very dark, like actually dark as far as luminescence. And I told you that it hurt my eyes. Um, I actually felt rings around both my eyes because, it, again, maybe this was just me, but I was really struggling to adjust how dark everything was to see it. And we joked, it's like, does Gotham ever have daylight? Does it ever have a sunny day? Because <laughs> it's always raining or night and usually both. Yeah. So, and it's like, if Gotham does have like an hour of like sunlight, it's because, you know, they're close to the Arctic Circle or something. Like it just, the sun <laughs> comes up and it immediately goes down. Well, I tell you, the day that Gotham has a, a sunny afternoon is the day it burns because you can't use the bat signal because we see that bat signal at 
all times of the day. Oh, <laughs> like man. it seems like any time of day, because because Gotham is always so overcast, you could just shine that thing into the clouds that are hanging, you know, a foot above the tallest building, and it's fine. It doesn't matter. You do see a lot of that bad signal. And at points, you're like, wait, is Gordon calling for coffee? Like, how many crimes are there? <laughs> yeah. Major crimes to summon the so bad. Jesus, Gordon, get a life, Gordon. How long do you think, on average, that Gordon stays, has to wait from the time he flicks the signal on to the time that Batman actually shows up? Because I bet he's waiting at least 45 minutes for him. Yeah. For Bruce to get in that suit has got to take like half an hour. <laughs> I, I was thinking like a little over an hour or something like that. You know, and I just imagine the real Commissioner Gordon turning it on and he's just like, it's on. And suddenly he's like looking around. He's like, this isn't like the movie. <laughs> I have to wait. <laughs> and it's like... In this, like, roofless part of a skyscraper where it's constantly raining and cold on me. It's like, it's, he's got the worst <laughs> job in the film. <laughs> I do want to give you one, before we move to spoilers, because I, I feel like we, we should pretty quick here. One small criticism that has come up that I've seen in reviewers, this isn't mine, is that Alfred was too young to be Alfred, and he came off as, like, an older brother rather than a father figure. Do you call bullshit on that? Or, or could you see, cause I heard that from like two or three reviewers. Um, I, I suppose I can see that, especially if you compare it to, uh, Michael Caine's Alfred compared to Christian Bale, like the difference in age between those two actors. Um, because I think honestly, the only, like that's going to be a direct compare. That's going to be the easiest comparison of, of if you're comparing bats to like Christian Bale's and, Robert Pattinson's bats, really? Because, I don't know, I think it's easy to overlook bat flick just in the context of the role that that version of Batman served. Um, whereas Bale's Batman and Pattinson's Batman are more uh, along the same lines as as far as, like, at their in their careers to compare, you know what I mean? I don't know. I didn't really care. I didn't think that at all. I didn't think, oh, Andy Serkis is not old enough to be... A butler. I, I, no, I didn't think that at all. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> he barely had a role in it anyways. Yeah, he didn't have a lot. I mean, he did a good job for when he was in. All all the actors did. We're going to sound like a broken record because any actor we decide to talk about, um, I think in the movie, did a, did a good job. Even just like the random cops. Like I just, there were a few random cops that just did a really good job of just having this disdain for this bat dude who's encroaching on their job. But I do want to throw one, one final actor throat. I want to give just a small one. I really like Peter Skarsgård as the assistant district attorney, even though he was quote unquote, one of the bad characters. Like I told you in the car on the way back, Peter Skarsgård can't play someone who's totally bad. And I genuinely thought he he had a good heart, even though he was taking bribes. And that's what made it made his his death scene a little bit more horrific because of that, because he was kind of the one bad guy that the Riddler was trying to hunt down that I thought had some some good in him. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I can elaborate more on on spoilers because especially you're right when you compare him to some of the stuff that uh the a few of the other victims did like yeah he's 
he's not he's not the the most evil right he's definitely the lesser of the evils for sure yeah well i mean the stuff that i want to discuss from this point is is spoilery or may touch on spoilers so uh unless you want to discuss some more non-spoiler stuff um i'm ready to, to to give that tag and dive in let's let's boil all right spoiler warning listener you got it we're going full spoilers right now Okay, so if there was something I didn't like in the movie, and uh, during a prayer session, Ghost Marty from Hell uh, said that the part that he hated was the Joker cameo in Arkham Asylum or Arkham Prison. I don't know. It was Arkham something. What What did you think about the Joker's cameo? Just because this is the thing that's most bursting on my mind to talk about. Unnecessary. <laughs> yes. Why? Why do studios keep doing this? We do not need a fucking Joker in this movie. Like, why? What the fuck? I, I guess it's to introduce him, but he's a no-name actor. Sorry to whoever he is, Barry Coog or whatever. He's he's a no-name actor. They're trying to introduce him for, like, a, a future TV show. But I don't think this is the place to do it in a scene like that. Like, the Riddler can hold his own. Paul Dano's Riddler was a very good character. He doesn't need to have this random laugh scene where we see that him and Joker are buddy-buddy. Put that scene in whatever movie or show where they actually do team up. I uh, no, I, I agree. I don't, I don't know. Just the problem is every iteration of Batman will have another iteration of the Joker. I mean, we, we have... I guess we have three current versions of bats as well. Um, but we like we, we currently have three Jokers, technically. We have Leto, you know, we have Joaquin Phoenix's version, now we have Barry Koo's version. It's like how many concurrent versions of the same bad guy do we need? <laughs> yeah. Look, we have and this might be a little bit of a tangent, but we have talked about countless fucking times over the years of this show what DCEU, what DC needs to do for their cinematic universe is what they seemingly are doing with the Batman and just make some dope, like, self-contained movies, which there's going to be a very loose definition on self-contained, clearly, as we're already getting a Penguin spinoff show. But just tell us stories. Make else make us like Elseworld movies. And it can be separate from your main DCEU. Because clearly Pattinson's Batman is only part of it in terms of some type of multiverse thing, right? Like, that's the, the you know, the fallback that now Marvel can do. Because the fucking Disney owns every property, right? So now they can do whatever the fuck they want. Well, DC can do the same thing too if they want. If they want to do some crazy infinite of crisis of infinite earths or, or whatever they want to do go for it if they keep, if they make other movies with actors that they clearly have faith in to helm the project but are almost like out of the box like i really think that robert pattinson was an out of the box casting choice for for batman like really um just based on this career up until the point where when it was announced where it was like oh it's robert pattinson playing batman like there's stigma that is attached to that actor. And as you know, uh, maybe stigma is too strong a word just because he was in the Twilight movies. But just give us more movies like this because this movie's dope. It's making its gangbusters at the, at the box office. I want more movies like this. Like, this is 
this was a great DC property, and I don't, I don't need. I mean, I would obviously see a sequel, and hopefully that would do just as like they would do a, just as good a job. And 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 yes, it would be interesting to see Pattinson's Batman grow more into that the duality of Bruce Wayne versus Batman, and see that develop in form, and maybe see iterations of of other villains that we have yet to see on screen. Obviously, we we did get a version of the Riddler with Jim Carrey's, but I think the Riddler was a really good choice for this film because. Look, the the direction they went with Riddler here is like they they did Riddler to do Joker without doing Joker. So then why the fuck are they showing us Joker at the end of this film? Oh man, I actually never thought of that, but that is so true. That is so true. That because the only other Riddler like I know not being super big into the comics is Jim Carrey's Riddler. So I know they went with the Zodiac Killer inspiration for Paul Dano's Riddler. I mean the masks are almost the same. But you're right. You are so right. He fulfills this Joker role. So why have the Joker? It's unnecessary. Uh, I mean, of the spoiler discussion, I don't want to hound on that one one scene that's bad. For all I know, Matt Reeves, the director, was forced by the studio to put that in so they plant a seed for their, their show. But where I would agree with you, again, is that DC's niche... Whether or not they fully know it yet is like a self-contained, almost graphic novel on screen. Like, long form, two and a half, three hours, go in detail, one-off, dark, much darker than the MCU. Go with an R rating for most of them. I, I'm i still on the fence whether or not the Batman would do better with an R rating than the PG-13 that it had. I think there's some scenes they could have done better with, with an R, but... I still think it came out pretty darn good. But I mean, I do think there's a lot of DC properties that need to be R. They, we've said this before on the show. I mean, DC for too long has been trying to define themselves as not Marvel instead of just be DC. Just be comfortable in your own clothes with your own properties. Just fuck whatever Marvel's doing and just be your be yourself. And when they do do that... That's when their properties have amazing success. You know, one of the things I I really liked was their explicit romantic attraction for each other. But I think it works. Like, I really think it works. I think they are these two people bound by the exact same values and philosophy on how seedy Gotham is and that it needs violence. It needs to... You know, it needs needs these superheroes. And, um, I mean, she's by far the more talkative of the two. But, uh, yeah, I think it works. And I, I felt for Bats how he ends up choosing duty over love, essentially. And, I mean, Selena Kyle, in her own way, does the same thing. Because she can't be planted in Gotham. She needs to explore. She has the trauma of her, you know, dad being Carmine Falcone and having strangled her mom. That comes out. That's pretty dark. I actually, I I felt that Skarsgård part was a little unrealistic. Um, so, listener, if you haven't seen it and you're listening to the spoilers, Skarsgård's assistant attorney, district attorney, he crashes into a funeral, comes out of his car. He's got a uh, bomb around his neck and a smartphone. Which, as Leland says, has a ton of battery because that phone rang constantly for like six hours and <laughs> doesn't stop ringing. But when it's finally answered, it's Riddler gives Skarsgård three quick uh, riddles, the first two which Bats helps him with, which are 
really quick. The final one is to give up who who is this snitch, this rat. And Skarsgård's character won't do it because apparently it'll be so bad for his family or or anything. So he's going to explode. There's a countdown to this bomb exploding. And Bats just stays right close to him. And I just don't think that's realistic. I think a pragmatic Bats would be like, okay, this guy isn't going to answer. A bomb is about to go off. Like life self-preservation. Get some distance. But no, I mean, he sees it counting down. He just stays there until the bomb goes off at point blank. I am really interested in your rating if you'd be willing to lead us off. Okay, okay. Um, I'm I'm going to give this an eight and a half. I, I, I kind of want to give it a nine, but um, I think eight and a half I feel good about. <laughs> it's a great, great movie. I think like you, like you said, you had tempered expectations. I think I tempered mine pretty well. Sweet. That's fair enough. Yeah, I thought you were actually going to go nine. So, but that's close enough. I will go nine. I think that as much as I've given a few criticisms, they all can be combined into the loss of a single point. I mean, like I said, I, I don't want to hold against it that my eyes took a while to adjust in the theater. That could be a theater issue. couple unnecessary scenes, poor dialogue choices. But when you combine that all, I'll dock at a point. But... This might sound weird to say, but like the nine points that I am giving it are a very good nine points. It's like, really, you should see it. And I recommend seeing it in theaters. I think it has a great soundtrack, which we didn't touch upon, but I love the theme. The soundtrack's excellent. So see it in theaters. See it with, it's got some great action scenes. And yeah, a, a really pleasant surprise in 2022 so far highly recommended ah damn all right well let's move on to our second segment here called well it's video game variety show Wait, i'm sorry previously recorded movie i do have to interrupt live leland unfortunately as i'm sure you could tell for uh, a few pieces of the batman review and the banter my microphone was doing something strange during recording. Uh, it was very frustrating. I could not fully fix it in post. And honestly, the for the video game variety show, it just gets worse. It just gets so worse, it's, it's unsalvageable. And while I could mute my entire track, nobody wants to listen to Just Moby. So unfortunately, I think we're going to have to scrap the video game variety show. Uh, very possibly, I think Moby and I will probably do the the same segment at a, in a future episode, though, because obviously it's still going to be fresh, fresh for you, listener. Uh, but yeah, so frustrated. I am glad I got to. I could make it through most of our uh, our review of the Batman. There was actually quite a bit of the spoiler review section that also I had to be scrapped just because the the quality of of my recording just degraded so quickly. Um, so fast and um, honestly it would not have been it would not have been a good listen it would have been very tough to get through very tough uh, so let me just go in with uh, an apology again and, and finish off with with end of show stuff as usual our website ttpopcast.com the t-hud podcast on facebook which moby does a great job of generating content for so go ahead and Please give our, our page a like and uh, comment on, on his posts, and I'm sure he would love the interaction. 
TT Podcast on Instagram. I'm Leland underscore Steel on Twitter. And that is who I've been. And then now this is where Moby says, and I'm Moby, take care, listener. And then I say, thanks, listener. And then we both say, bye-bye, bye-bye. <laughs>